What's up, everybody? Welcome to Season 2 of the Pop Anime Comics Lounge, where I have with me Amanda Rachels, who is a comic artist and co-founder of Inverse Press. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So now, you've been involved as an artist and the co-founder of Inverse Press for about six years now. How were you first introduced to the world of comics? As a little kid, I was just reading comics with my older cousins, and I've loved them ever since. Comics and cartoons. Great big Batman fan as a little one. So what age did you start reading, and what were you reading? Five. Batman was really a big start. I liked all the Disney comics that were kind of big at the time, but from early on, I kind of dug horror stuff, so I moved to EC Comics really quickly. I liked X-Men a lot. It's kind of funny. I'm down on the Gulf Coast of Alabama, and we're right next to Florida, and we had two shops. One was an hour this way, one was an hour this way, and we didn't really like the people that ran either shop. So my dad, he finally got sick of having to go every week so we opened our own shop in the middle and so I got to spend a lot of time in the comic shop it was a really nice experience got to work there while I was homeschooled and all that and now being that you worked in a comic shop and you were family-owned comic shop how did that influence you as an artist I had a desk in the middle of the shop I published three comics I guess I was about 17 at the time I know there's copies floating around out there and I'm trying to collect them all so that they can be destroyed <laughs> And the people that have them, they're like, you're never getting this back. Ha ha ha. But thank God people loved me because they were so bad. And what were some of your early influences as an artist? I loved Akira, Katsuhiro Otomu. That was one I would just sit there and look at the panels and look at the panel structure. And so I really took a lot from anime and manga early on. And I was like, uh-oh, I can only draw anime and manga. So <laughs> tried to get a little bit more Western with my art. And were there any like major American comic artists or even comic writers who really helped to inspire you? Walt Simonson is a personal favorite. Bill Sienkiewicz. I don't care what it is, I want it. I like all the old Jack Davis horror stuff. I like Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane. Oh my god. I remember nerding out a lot to that with my older cousin. There's pictures all over the wall and ceiling and he drew every little Spawn picture, you know, Spider-Man, all that. And we bought the VHS tapes where he would draw in front of the crowd make new characters and it was so cool years later my partner Kevin and I we were doing Baltimore Comic Con and Todd McFarlane came by our table and looking at our books the same thing happened at the same con two years later Walt Simonson came by so that was just funny the funniest little part of that the guy next to me he had been trying to take pictures of Stan Lee all day Walt Simonson comes by and talks and then he looks at me and he goes was that somebody and I just wanted to hit him with a chair and obviously you looked up to a lot of these people and I would imagine that you're still a huge fan of them. How does that affect you to hone your skill as an artist and inspire you to get better and hone your skill and develop your technique? It's absolute fuel. Stephen King says, if you want to write, you have to read. And I feel like if you want to draw, you need to get lots and lots of art and kind of have the osmosis effect. It definitely makes me want to be better and to learn more and see more. And it's not just with art. It's with photographs. I want to look at architecture. And I like drawing people. I like drawing monsters. So those areas that I don't feel like are my strongest points, like tech, I try to look at that a lot. I don't necessarily follow through and practice drawing it as much as I probably should because I'm drawing people. This person can have a tentacle coming out of their head. But I'm always looking for new and interesting things. And when you see some of the artwork that's out there, it just blows your mind. I think it all just 
helps to add to that drive to want to be better. And now growing up, you were reading comic books. You said you have three comic books out there that you want to destroy. You grew up in a comic shop, quite literally. But did you ever expect you to actually be drawing comics, owning your own company in this field, as well as doing a few sketch covers and being really involved in this industry? I never really saw myself doing anything else because it's just always been a real passion for me. And there were a few years there where I was just like, ah, the heck with it. I'll get a real job. I worked in a bank. I had to be responsible, get cursed at a lot. And that was hell. And it was like every day my chest would get tight just pulling into the parking lot. I'm just much happier drawing horrible creatures and not working. And now I want to talk a little bit about comic culture down south. Obviously, I've spoken to people in Los Angeles and California. I've spoken to people in New York. But what exactly is the common culture in the Gulf of Alabama? On the Gulf of Mexico, we've got actually a big, pretty active community. There's a few little groups of people down here making their own comics also. We've got some good shops down here that have all been supportive of what we do. They're so excited to to see comics and art being made in the communities. We've got a really strong base down here, and people are just so excited and have such a good attitude about it. It's so much fun. And I think that leads us right into my next point, which is to talk about Inverse Press. How did you meet Kevin Lepore, your co-founder? The Star Wars card game. We played card games, and that's how we met. We played each other. So, yeah, we're, we're big-time nerds. But we've been friends for so many years, and we're both just creative types and big nerds. That's what we do. We make comics in our house. So when did you wake up and say, let's go create this company? Well, he knew that I wanted to draw comics because I had just gone through a period where I was, I don't need to do this. I'm not good enough to publish. I should just give up. And so he said, well, why don't you just practice and have some fun? Just pick it up as a hobby again. I guess I've been at it for about two years. And he's written some prose and poetry and just some little stories. He said, well, I'll write something for you and let's just have some fun with it. And he wrote a cool little Doom Patrol piece for me to draw. And so I scribbled that out and he's like, well, let's do something else. So. We were looking at other people that were making independent comics at the time. And so we said, why don't we do something like that? So we were playing around with that. We did a really silly little superhero book that's terrible. It was way too wordy and the art was all jumbled. But it was our first effort. So then we started a webcomic called The Blind Eye. And from that, we went into our series called Clown Town that has evolved into one now called Vicious Circus. But it just got addictive because we work so well together. I guess that's why we're a couple. So it's nice to have that kind of telepathy and synergy when you're creating art for a story. And he knows my strengths as far as the art. He also knows what grosses me out or I'm horrified by. And it's usually somewhere in the comic. So it's fun. It's like a contest. It's like, can you do this? Oh, yes, I can. I will prove you wrong. We're trying to one-up each other on it. And now before we get to some of your work, which you just mentioned, some of my listeners might not be familiar with Inverse Press. Can you explain what you do and some of the genres you cover and some of the work you do? We tell weird, dark, and fun stories in comics. We've got a series about killer clowns called Vicious Circus, where the killer clowns aren't necessarily the bad guys. They protect abused children by going vigilante crazy on their abusers. 
and the bad parents. I did a series called Flesh of White with Erica Heflin, who she was the writer for Wonderland for Zenoscope. And that's a story about a real phenomenon that happened in Kenya and Tanzania in Africa, where people with albinism are hunted for their body parts because witch doctors say that they're magical creatures and they sell spells to people and they use the albino body parts as components and spells. So it's a real thing there that people are mutilated and hunted for their body part. And our story is based on that with a little bit of a supernatural element to it. It's about a mother whose baby's born with albinism and she's trying to protect him from a witch doctor who wants to take him. And we've got a, a steampunk western take on the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse called Last Ride for Horsemen. It's on its second issue right now. The artist Nathan Smith and Kevin Laporte's the, the writer on it. They do one horseman per book. And the first one is Famine. The second one that came out recently is Pestilence. It's about this one little town that's seized, so they're screwed. Then we have a sci-fi horror story called The Absentee about a test pilot who goes into space looking for a way to harvest clean energy. But in the process, he gets possessed by a demon and he comes back to Earth saying, yay, I'm successful. And then he finds out he can use this demon's body that's awesome, cool, I've got powers, I can fly. And he's off using this body, but the demon's using his body. So he's seducing his wife and ruining his job. And it's really fun. It's a dark, dark, funny story. Everything eventually becomes a horror story for us. And now, before we talk about some of your works, which we're going to get to, some of the ones you just mentioned, actually, a lot of your projects have been funded on Kickstarter. Why did you go down the path of using Kickstarter to initially fund it? Well, it's expensive to make comics. And to start off, we got into this competition that was basically like American Idol, but with comic books. It's like you made a comic and then people voted for your comic. And that's how we started with Clown Town. A lot of people that were supporting us in this contest and voting for our book. And so we kind of had a built-in audience by the end of it. We came in second in the competition. But we still wanted to continue the book. And most of them have stuck with us the entire time. We built a network. And they want to use it and tell them stories and give them something to look forward to with the rewards that we have. So it's become an interesting community for us. But we really wouldn't be able to do it without that support. And do you feel that Kickstarter gives you a little bit more freedom to do horror stuff? People really want kind of out there stuff. It seems like the more out there, the better. But the mainstream, they're not as open to trying new things out as they are on Kickstarter. And another thing is that when you become a backer, from my experience, when I backed a project, it's because I thought, ooh, this is cool. I want to be a part of this. I want to get behind it and really help help make this happen. And it's cool because you get personally invested in those projects. And now I'm sure we could talk about this all day, but I want to talk about some of your work, starting with Flesh of White. You said that this happens in Tanzania, Kenya, and in other parts of Africa. How did you come across this idea? There was a story, I think it was on 2020 or Dateline, one of those, and this was years ago. And in the story, they featured a lady who was in her house one night, and these two men came in, and they chopped off her arms. And she lived, but... She had a baby. How is she going to take care of that baby? It was hard to watch. The story was about how she came to Philadelphia and she got prosthesis and was able to, to function and be a mother to her child and to, you know, live a full life. And that stuck with me. How horrible things happen like that to people this day and age. 
And when I want to tell a story, it's usually because of something that's affected me or that keeps me up at night. And oddly enough, Erica and I, we had wanted to do a project together. We didn't really have anything in mind. And I had that in the back of my head. And I told her, well, why don't you come up with something? And let me know what you're thinking. We can get together on it and see what it is we actually want to do. And that's the topic she came up with. And it was supposed to be just a 20-page single issue that we were going to do together. But... I told her, we need to tell this story, and this is something that I want to do. And she killed it from a writer's perspective. She tells it as a mother who's fierce, and it is an intense story. So to backtrack, how did you meet Erica? Because she's done a lot of work for Zenscope. She's done a lot of other stuff. Kickstarter, actually. (laughs) We had lots of mutual friends. From a message board and a group that makes anthology books called The Gathering. We met through there. I had a reward up that was, I'll draw a four-page short for you. And she purchased that reward. And she wrote a really freaky short. (laughs) And so we did another one. And I was like, we need to do something long form. And she also bought an early reward where I drew a 20-page book for you. And so she got one of those. And we sold two of them. And the other one became a book called Eyes of the Hurricane, which is neat. So two projects came from Kickstarter rewards. So staying with Erica, how much creative freedom did you have in interpreting the script that she created? Well, she would come up with her script and I would just do what I do. She never really had any edits or anything like that. Never asked for a change because there are parts of the script that are pretty brutal. And so they were very difficult for me just as a person to sit there and try. I didn't want to look at it while I was doing it. And it came out pretty nicely. I can look at it. But I think she just sat back and watched it happen. I was trying to really impress her. And now this project started in 2013 and just recently ended in 2016. We had other things going on too. Other books and cons and life. And At the time, I was drawing it and coloring it. We collected it in a really limited run on Kickstarter. We had a colorist named Nathan Lewis come over and enhance my work. We also had, on the first issue of it, another colorist named Gavin Michelli did that one. He's done work with us on other books. He's a colorist on Last Track for Horsemen. But we brought more people into it to finalize some of these things. But then we finally got the series into Diamond. So now we're releasing them as single issues. And now to talk about a book that we mentioned briefly before. But before I continue, we're going to be talking about Juggalos, everybody, just so you understand. If you get offended by clowns, deal with it. So, Clown Town. How did this entire graphic novel story come about? Okay, this is a funny story on a few levels. I'll start with the fact that when I was nine years old, I read Stephen King's It. So, Stephen King warped me. And I wouldn't really say that I'm a fan of clowns, but I've always had an interesting soft spot for Pennywise. Anyway, Kevin and I, we spotted this contest. And I won't say the name of the contest, but it was similar to American Idol in that you got people voting for each project. You started with a cover sketch, and then you turned it into a 12-page comic. And by the end of it, you had a nice, complete little work. And so... We wanted to do something scary, and we thought, well, what can we do that's going to freak out wrong people? And we wanted our story to be about childhood from a child's perspective. It's like, well, it might not necessarily be so bad for kids, but it's going to freak the hell out of the adults. So, clowns, that was our idea. But we love this story, and it's kind of always with us. We always talk about doing a follow-up. But we didn't want to do just another killer clown story, so we wanted a spin on it. The bad guys are the people. And they do funny things to them. 
So it's interesting to have become these killer clown people. I'm the killer clown girl. you all these monsters, but I sure do love them. And this was a graphic novel versus a comic. Why did you choose to go directly graphic novel over comic? When we did Clown Town, we did release it as a comic. We did four issues, all through Kickstarter. And then we collected it into a graphic novel. As independent, you might see them at a con, and you might not see them again, or things might not even get finished. So that's so why I feel like it needed to be a complete work that somebody could pick up and look at and read through. Things are much more satisfying when they're complete. And it was one that we did it so early in our creative process that we didn't feel like Clown Town was up to the standard of quality that we were producing currently. So we had colorist Nathan Lewis come in and enhance the colors that I originally did on it. And we love that story so much. It's really dear to our hearts and it's nice to see it all shiny and new and it always cracks me up. The reactions that we get to it, entertaining to say the least. There's at least something at every show that I get to that's so funny. And now to talk about another comic that you mentioned came out of Kickstarter, Eyes of the Hurricane, which is very personal. So maybe you want to go and give the background to that. The personal element is that the person who came up with the concept, Kevin Adapted, is my neighbor. And he is just the sweetest person on the planet. And the story is about an experience that he had during Hurricane Ivan. He was at home alone during Hurricane Ivan. And there was a break in the storm. And he walked outside and he saw a hummingbird. <laughs> There's a hummingbird in the middle of a hurricane. He wrote what might have happened had he followed it and seen where it was going. It's a really cute story, but the people in it, I drew in people from our community. So I got to draw real-life little places in our little country town. And obviously, being that it was more your backyard, and quite literally your backyard, as well as your area where you live, how did you treat the art in that book? I actually went through and I took some pictures that Roberto had after the storm. And so I tried to make sure that those elements were in there. But yeah, I wanted it to feel like home. And I actually threw in some little silly things that are important to me that aren't necessarily there anymore. Like my grandmother's house, which has not been where it was for years and years. But put that on the page. Things like that. Just a little tribute to where I came from. And now to talk about another comic you mentioned, which is The Last Ride for Horsemen, where you did a Kickstarter cover that's all like 3D, yeah. steampunk-like. That one with the uh, the clown in the tank. We were like, oh gosh, we've got enough books, now we can do crossover stuff. So we put Stumpy in the tank. That was fun. Uh, Nathan, who draws the book, he's such a great artist. His style is so fun. And it's neat to get to collaborate with the artists working with us. And now I think we're going to talk about maybe your favorite comic that you've done which is Vicious Circus. How the hell did this concept come about? Well, Vicious Circus was when we had Clown Town. It was one of the very first projects that we did, so it looks like it. And so we wanted it to look more polished and professional like the things that we've been putting out over the last couple of years. And so we had Nathan Lewis come in, enhance my colors on Clown Town, and we rebranded it. Kevin went over the script, relettered and edited and added a scene here and there, and we thought it made it into a much better book so we went with the new title of Vicious Circus rather than Clown Town. And that we've released in graphic novel format. There's really limited single issue set of Vicious Circus. It's only available through Patreon. Vicious Circus came full circle for us because it was nice to really put the bells and whistles on it and use all the skills that we've learned in our time 
of making comics to come back to this project and make it you know, all it could be. And now, obviously, I mean, you have a rich history in clowns. What can fans expect next from you with clowns? Well, Kevin and I have talked about doing a follow-up. We can't stop doing this. It gets in the way of every other aspect, but it's wonderful. And the clowns, it might be a little while, but we're going to come back to it. We're actually revisiting another of our series, The Blind Eye, the very first little webcomic that we did. There was a character in that that had such a positive response. And it was great white, shark-themed vigilante. So that's like my favorite thing that I've ever designed. Kevin and I spent a lot of time on that one. People responded really well to that character, so we want to do something with him. And I'm trying to juggle a couple of projects right now. <laughs> so it's between Great White and Shakespeare. You have a Patreon page. What is your Patreon page? Patreon.com slash Amanda Rachel. And so you're right now doing a William Shakespeare Titus. Titus Andronicus. Which is a sci-fi interpretation on that work. Which I'm sure you'll explain right now. We're slowly doing this comic in acts. And Titus Andronics is one of my very favorite plays by William Shakespeare. And it's the most brutal, horrible, violent play. It's wonderful, though. But it's always been a favorite, and it translates extremely well to a comic book. And so we wanted to put it on paper, but with a different spin on it as a science fiction story. And so it's a faithful adaptation. We've changed maybe half a dozen words to just fit the context of what's going on. But uh, it's crazy to combine Shakespeare, horror, sci-fi, and comic book. And now a lot of the funding for this is coming through Patreon. Can you go into why you need funding and why people should donate? We're slowly but surely dipping our toe in the water of Patreon. It's eventually going to be kickstarted, and and Patreon's a way for us to go through some of the original art and get a little bit more artwork out there in advance of the Kickstarter. We're, we're looking at any ways to really put it out there for different audiences that are interested in supporting it. With Kickstarter, we have to do a lot of priming long before a project to make sure that we can get people backing it and get people excited about it beforehand. So we're just trying to get as much out there early as we can, but it's going to be a rather timely project for right now. And now what are some of the rewards you're offering on Patreon? Well, I'm doing... My interpretations of some iconic Shakespeare scenes that may be in a completely different genre. Like, I was doing the witches from that Scottish play in a techno-cyberpunk motif. And I was doing trading cards with a certain character done in several different genres. You could have half a dozen different versions of Iago. Lady Macbeth was one of the first that I did. I did a pinup girl, did a butt. It got kind of crazy there. I'm just having some fun with it. A lot of it is warm-up art. And I go between that and art. It's kind of what's inspiring me this morning. And is there anything else you want to tell the listeners about this project? You can go to shakespearecomic.com. Sign up for our mailing list. We don't send updates out very often, so we don't spam you. But we are going to be offering the first 10 pages as a preview. Once we've got the color and the letter, it just has to be fleshed out just a little bit. And then we'll get that out there to you. It's going to be a long project, but we want people to be able to see parts of it as we're working. And now we're just about to wrap up in one or two questions. So you've been involved in comics your entire life from the comic shop to creating your own stuff very young to co-founding inverse press as well as being an artist in many of them what advice can you give for people who want to enter this industry in this field don't get discouraged and see projects through finish what you start it can take a lot out of you but you do it because you enjoy it not because you want people to necessarily buy it i know i know a lot of people 
who want to put things together and they don't necessarily have the means to publish comics and they are heartbroken over it and I feel so bad and I'm like are you enjoying doing it well keep doing it are you not enjoying doing it stop you know read you don't have to you do what you love sometimes it gets hard we all deal with burnout and then finally do you have anything you'd like to promote Facebook Twitter website comics coming out I'm pretty active on my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash amandarachelsart. I'm posting commission work, and I'm always available for commission sketch covers, that sort of thing. Do you have a Twitter? At amandarachels, A-M-A-N-D-A-R-A-C-H-E-L-S. And do you have a DeviantArt? I do. I don't keep up with it as much as I should, but it's amandarachels on DeviantArt. DeviantArt.com slash amandarachels. And do you have any other social media or anything you would like to promote to end the podcast? I'm on Instagram, at Amanda Rachels. As always, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. We can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitch Radio, as well as we just recently got onto iHeartRadio, so you can listen there as well. And while you wait for next week's episode, you can definitely check us out at popanimecomics.com for articles relating to anime, comics, and pop culture. And you can give us a follow on Twitter at Pop Anime Comics. Give our Facebook page a like, Pop Anime Comics. And we do have an official pro wrestling tee shop where you can purchase a shirt. It's under Pop Anime Comics. It is a very cool logo. Definitely would grab one if you can. It's the best way how to support this show, the website, and anything else I do. And until next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.